Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome to Know Your Bible. Glad you've come back today and ready to study the Bible with us for a little bit. Uh, that's what we do on Sundays with the, our viewers is take their questions and try to find answers. There's a phone number and a website on your screen at all times. Use those anytime to get in touch with us and let us know what you'd like us to talk about. We get real specific questions about some verse sometimes or a doctrine. We get life questions about what's the Bible have to say about this, the thing that's going on in my family. Uh, get all kinds of questions, and the Bible has answers for most of life's problems. So we'll try to find you an answer. And I'm Steve Tandy, and this is Toby Levering, my partner. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. Glad you're here and ready to go. We've got uh, lots of good ones saved up. and. Uh, ready to get to, but we always start with one for our viewers, so here's yours for the day. Mary and Martha were good friends of Jesus, and they had a brother. What was Mary and Martha's brother's name? And we'll give you the end of, uh, answer to that at the end of the program. Uh, Toby, looks like you drew number one today, so you get to start us. Yes, this is a question about God's chosen people. The Bible says the Jewish people are God's chosen people. Are they still his chosen people. Well, our viewer is right, and uh, the Bible does speak about the Jewish people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, the nation of Israel, uh, the Jewish people being God's chosen people. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6 is not on the screen, but a verse you can write down or look up at home. Uh, says, You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. Now, uh, the, the next logical question, if God chose them, why did God choose them and for what purpose, for what reason had God chosen them? Uh, if you think back back, back to your uh, younger days, maybe on the playground or at recess or in gym, you were picking teams and you'd have a captain, two different captains, and they'd choose the team that they thought uh, the people that would be the best players on their team so they could win. You were chosen to win. Well, uh, when God chose the nation of Israel, when He chose His people, He chose His th those people for a reason and a purpose. And the reason the purpose is the totality of what Scripture is all about. That nation of people was to bring forth a Savior, a Messiah, that would not just save the Jewish people, but would save all people, all human beings, all of Adam's race, uh, from the, the curse of sin and death. And that's what the purpose of the chosen people, if we call it that. Um, and he chose a very small nation, uh, people that 
been in the minority. They were a, a wandering people until finally they uh, found a, a land and a home to call their own. But God, the story of the Old Testament is how God was with them, uh, in spite of the fact that many times they were not always with him. Genesis chapter 12 is the story of the call of Abraham. I'm going to read it. And this is what God said to Abram. Go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God chose the Jewish people for a reason and a purpose. He told Abraham that. He reiterated that promise time and again to remind them that it wasn't because of how special they were necessarily, but because of what God was doing in them and he was fulfilling his holy purpose. The purpose of God's choice of the, the Jews as his chosen people was to produce, as I said, the Messiah, the Je Jesus the Christ, who would be the Savior of the world. Now let's look at one verse on the screen, Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring heirs according to the promise. So the good news is uh, that in Christ and through Christ, uh, we too can be a part of God's people. I hope that clarifies. All right, a question about taking care of the earth here. Viewer wants to know, where does it say we are to be good stewards of the earth? All right, excellent question because that is a hot topic these days. We're uh, environmentalism and uh, climate change and everything all around that uh, people are all excited about and a lot of churches uh, have become very <clears throat> social oriented on that topic and believe it's the role of the church to be stewards of the earth so our viewer wants to know well where does it say that in the bible good question uh, it doesn't actually say that it gets pretty close in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15 where it says God put Adam and Eve in the garden uh, to work it and to tend it uh, <clears throat> some translations say to take care of it now bear in mind that was before the fall and they lived in the perfect garden and they had some duties we don't know what they were they weren't difficult evidently in our way of thinking of difficulty because that was the curse was it was going to be hard to make a living after that uh, <clears throat> but Genesis 2.15 says to work and tend the garden now as far as after the fall and taking care of the earth and all that uh, here's what God said in Genesis 1.28 and he repeats it after the flood in Genesis 9 <clears throat> says God blessed them and God said unto them be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Notice we are to fill the earth up with people and we are to subdue the earth and have dominion over all the animals. So that's God's assignment to us. Now, <clears throat> do I believe that means we or can kill anything we want and despoil the earth and uh, <clears throat> wreak all kind of environmental tragedies on the earth. No, 
I think we ought to be good conservationists. I think we ought to care for what we've been given. Uh, we ought to be frugal with our energy use. That's just good sense and good stewardship of our money. Uh, lots of things like that that we ought to do. But the Bible doesn't take us to where uh, we've kind of crossed over today. Uh, when people talk about being stewards of the earth, uh, the concept is that the earth is very fragile and that we have the power to destroy it somehow. The earth is so fragile that humans are the problem. In fact, some people believe, teach you shouldn't have children because that's going to destroy the earth. We get too many people on it. Uh, that's completely contrary to what the Bible says. The Bible says we're to subdue the earth and have dominion over the animals. But as far as how fragile the earth is and what we can do to destroy it, the Bible's very clear that God sustains the earth. He sustains the universe. He keeps it going, and he will destroy it when he's ready. Uh, we can't destroy this earth. God is going to destroy this earth. So that crossing that line, and I can't tell you where that line is, but at, at some point uh, between being a good conservationist and picking up your litter and <clears throat> taking care of your environment and all that, <clears throat> it passes over to where environmentalism becomes earth worship. And the Bible does say that's wrong. Uh, worshiping anything other than God is wrong. Now, Romans chapter 1 takes it a step further and says once people get so far away from God, they will begin to worship the creature instead of the creator. They will begin to think that creatures are more important than worshiping God. And you look at our world today, uh, you can go to jail for many years for destroying an unbo unborn condor egg, uh, but it's perfectly all right to kill a human before it's born. So uh, we've crossed over to we worship the creature instead of the creator, I believe. So I didn't mean this to be a, a lecture on radical environmentalism, but when we talk about being good stewards of the earth, uh, there's a limit to that and a trust to God that he will take care of things uh, that we can get over to where we worship creation instead of God. So hope that's helpful on being good stewards. Yeah, good answer. And I always recall when thinking about that subject, the promise that God made to Noah after the earth was destroyed yep. by the flood, that the seasons and the, all of the, the ways of the earth would continue. They would yep. never cease until God chose to destroy it. So yep. people get panicky about stuff, and, and we just have to remember the promises of God. And uh, good answer. Uh, the question I have is a, a cultural one. Is it okay to live with someone and not be married? Uh, I realize that's uh, increasingly a popular idea. In fact, most people, even those uh, raised in uh, God-fearing homes, the people who attend church, uh, their teenage or uh, young adults will go off and leave the home and find a boyfriend or girlfriend and decide that the best thing to do would be to live together uh, before they get married. And uh, first, I want to 
kind of make sure we're clear on something, that the, the phrase living with someone, we're, we're speaking euphemistically there, that uh, it, we're talking about sexual relations uh, before and outside of marriage. And, and that, the Bible is 100% clear that is absolutely wrong. Now, sexual activity between a husband and wife, that's fine. That's fact, that's good. God that's what he meant uh, sexual part of the benefits and blessings of the covenants of marriage is all about but um, to do those participate in those activities and those behaviors before marriage or outside of marriage is uh, absolutely repeatedly condemned in scripture uh, this, the, the Bible term for that is sexual immorality the original word is pornea and it simply means refers to all sexual immorality and there's so many verses and not even time to list all of them let me give you just one, but know that there are many. First Corinthians chapter six, verses eighteen through twenty. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Uh, sex before marriage is just as wrong as adultery, as homosexuality, uh, as any, many, all the other forms of sexual immorality, any deviance from God's intended plan. Um, now, if you're asking in the sense of uh, what about living together? We're not we're not uh, participating in sexual activity. We're just roommates, so to speak. Uh, we're living in the same house or apartment, but we're not engaging in that. Technically, there's not anything wrong with uh, two people sharing the same space together. The problem is, uh, it's the appearance of immorality. Uh, most people just jump to the conclusion, rightly so, uh, that a man and woman living together under the same roof at some point are just going to be sexually active uh, together. And certainly there's going to be a high degree of temptation. Uh, and, and the scriptures are clear, that especially if you're in Christ, we not only need to flee from that, we need to do our very best to avoid that temptation or any type of temptation. We don't run towards evil. We don't get as close to the line as we can. We try to avoid the, even the very appearance. And let's look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. The scripture says, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Now, and that last part there, just want to remind you. I mean, if you're if you're watching this as a person who's in Christ, as a person who who seeks to to to, to do what the Lord wants, who fears the Lord, and who uh, who honors His word and His will, uh, then we certainly know that living together is not appropriate. And if you're of the world, if you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, you certainly have a different standard. That doesn't mean God thinks it's right, but uh, we need to understand that for God's holy people, uh, living together is is not appropriate. All righty, let me invite you to study the Bible with us beyond this 30 minutes each week, and we've got a way to do that. We know a lot of our viewers are great Bible students and spend a lot of time in their Bibles, but a lot of our viewers haven't got started in that habit yet. So we've got some tools that we're happy to share with you. We think get you started in Bible study and teach you a lot about your Bible. This is the first set of lessons we have. There's eight lessons in it. It starts with the Old Testament and the New Testament. 
Testament. First two lessons there, you see. Uh, you got to know that to begin to understand your Bible. So you learn the difference. Once you get through those eight lessons, we've got four other courses that can keep you studying the Bible for a long time. Uh, you can learn a lot about your Bible with Know Your Bible Study Tools, and we're happy to help you with that absolutely free of charge. We've also got an online option now if you don't want to wait for the mail or fill out paperwork. Uh, we've got some uh, things you can study on your phone, tablet, whatever, and uh, learn the Bible that way. So the online option's got that website there. Check into that, and we'll get you started on some online Bible studies. Uh, know your Bible with Know Your Bible Study Tools. All right, got a question about uh, getting to heaven. What do you believe one must do to get to heaven? All right, a pretty basic question there. What, what do you got to do to get to heaven? And let me give you two answers, and the first answer is going to be nothing. Uh, there's nothing you must do to get to heaven. And let me, don't tune out yet, I'll give you another answer in just a moment. But let's start with that one, and let's read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 to see why I said nothing. Paul says it this way. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Alright, so when I said nothing, I'm referring to this concept that God saves us, and it's not our own doing. So in one sense, when you ask, what must you do to get to heaven... Well, there's nothing you can do. You can't earn it. <clears throat> uh, nothing you can do makes you deserving of heaven. Nothing you can do of your own accord makes you worthy of heaven. Uh, nothing that you can do so you can say, I did this, so I'm going to heaven. That's what he said. There's nothing you can do to boast about. So that's the nothing you can do answer. Now, however, <clears throat> that verse also said we're saved by grace through faith. Okay, so we do have to have faith. We do have to believe. And I think everybody in Christianity agrees with that. you got to believe. Now, some people stop there and don't define what belief is. Uh, but belief involves some other things. So this is my second answer. First one was you've got to do nothing to get to heaven. My second answer is you've got to do everything to get to heaven. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean there's faith. <clears throat> if you have faith in Jesus, if you have faith in anybody, you will do what they say. Okay. Now, if you just believe that Jesus was the Son of God, that doesn't save you. If you have faith in in him, trust in him, then you will do everything he says. That's what faith is. Okay? Uh, the whole Bible teaches us that. Uh, it says in the Old Testament that Abraham <coughs> did something by faith and that was credited to him as righteousness. Okay? He didn't earn his righteousness, but he did what God said. God said, leave the country that you're in, go to another country, and I'll tell you when you get there, Abraham went. God told him, you're going to have a son. Abraham believed, 
and it was credited to him for righteousness. God told him to sacrifice that son, and Abraham was willing to sacrifice. He started on the process. He was willing to go through with it. That was credited to him for righteousness. He did what God said. Okay. So if we put that to the faith test, uh, do you have faith in Jesus? That doesn't just mean you're saying, I believe. It means I do what he says. Okay, so you read the New Testament and you find out what did Jesus say? Uh, what did the apostles teach that we have to do? Well, they said you have to repent. Okay, that in one sense is doing something, but that's not earning your ticket to heaven. Uh, we need to repent, though, because Jesus said to. We need to confess him. The Bible says that. Uh, we, uh, everybody agrees that you need to confess that Jesus is Lord. Now, the Bible says to be baptized. Jesus said to be baptized. He that believeth and is baptized will be saved. He said it. We need to do it. He said we had to live faithfully. We had to pick up our cross daily and deny ourselves and follow him. He says we have to love our brother. There's a lot of things that Jesus said, and if we have faith in him... We will do everything he said. So that's my second answer is, what do you have to do? Well, everything Jesus said. And you can put those two answers together and hopefully understand what I'm talking about. There's nothing you can do to earn your way into heaven. You can't trust in uh, anything that you've done. It's by grace. But if you really have faith in Christ, you'll do what he said. So that's what you have to do to get to heaven. All right, a, a viewer asked the question, uh, a little more in-depth question, what do the priests that came from Aaron have to do with the Levites? Okay, we've got a serious Bible student here. They've been reading through, and they understand the, uh, there's a, the, those who descended from Aaron were the priesthood, and then there was the tribe of Levi, and how do these two work together. So, well, let's first of all help us understand the, the priests, those who served in the service of the tabernacle and later the temple, they were males from the tribe of Levi. Uh, they had to meet a certain physical and age qualification in order to be able to serve. Uh, all priests were to be from the tribe of Levi, but not all Levites were priests, if we can think of it that way. Uh, the Levites, the, the, who they were, the tribe of the Israelites that descended from Levi, who's one of the twelve sons of Jacob. <clears throat> uh, those, those priests, uh, under the old system, not under the new system, but they served as the mediators, the go-between, uh, between um, the Israelites and God. Uh, they were the, the qualified men, as we said, from the tribe of Levi, and uh, they had responsibility almost over every aspect of the old uh, temple and tabernacle worship. They managed the, the sacrifices, they handled the offerings, they handled uh, uh, making sure that everything uh, in the uh, that in the tabernacle or, or the temple was set up, the oil for the lampstands and the, the, the showbread and all of that, uh, the, the, the logistics of that was largely handled by uh, the Levites. Um, they, the, only the priests could enter the most holy place, uh, the, um, and so that was what their job was, and, 
and that those people who served came from the tribe of Levi. <clears throat> now, in our modern covenant, in the new covenant under Jesus, uh, we don't have any men that mediate between us and God. Uh, Jesus is the only mediator between us and the Lord. And uh, in fact, to go a step further, uh, all people who are in Christ are considered uh, priests, if you will. Uh, let's look at First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And Peter says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. So I hope that helps you and helps understand a little more about the, the Levites and the priesthood. All right. If you wants to know how does God the Father know when the end will come, and God the Son, not know. All right, our viewers obviously referring to a verse in Matthew, Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. Let's look at that. And this is Jesus speaking. Uh, the apostles had asked him when the end was going to come, and here's what Jesus said. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. All right, so our viewers read that and said, well, okay. Jesus and the Father are both God. Uh, how does the Father know something and the Son not know something? I think the key is understanding when Jesus said that. Uh, Jesus was on earth. He was God incarnate. He had taken on flesh and fully taken on flesh. Somehow, and this is a mystery to us, somehow he had laid aside the privileges of being God. He said being God was not something to be grasped or held on to, but he laid that aside and became like a man in every way like as we are. So while he was on earth, he didn't know, he said. Now, I personally think he's back in heaven. He's at the right hand of God. I think he knows. But the timing of that verse is important. While he was on earth, he said he didn't know when the end would come. Let me take this moment and invite you to visit a church of Christ near you. Uh, we're kept on the air by churches of Christ, and we like to mention a few that support us each week today. Let me mention two out in western Kansas, uh, in Great Bend and Scott City, both fine congregations of the Church of Christ, great groups of people at each one of them that have been uh, longtime supporters of us, and we appreciate them. If you live in one of those areas, uh, drop in, visit them sometime. Tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible, and uh, you appreciate their support. All right, Toby, we've got a minute or two left here. Uh, viewer asked the question, if God knows where people go, will go when they die, why does he create people to go to hell? Well, people don't go to hell because God sends them there. Uh, in fact, God has done everything within, uh, I mean, that I can conceive of to keep me and Steve and you and everybody on earth that's ever lived out of hell and yet, he will not. There is one thing he will not do, and that is override our free will. Uh, he gives us the ability to choose, and he always has, and he will not override that. And uh, we must make the choice whether we're going to serve the Lord, whether we're going to follow Jesus Christ, who's the only way to heaven. If we're going to do what he said to do, we're not. And if we choose to not do what he said, if we choose to not follow him, then obviously that's a choice in the wrong direction. 
and a choice that ultimately will lead to our eternal destruction. Let's read Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Uh, the Apostle Peter said, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but He is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Uh, God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. He's done everything He can to keep us out of it. It's amazing how many why God does something sure. questions come down to free will. That's right. Yeah. Yep. The, when he decided that, that he would let us choose, created a lot of problems. Yep. Uh, but it's the only <laughs> way he could have real relationship that's with us. Exactly so that's exactly right. That's the answer to a lot of them. We're glad you've been with us today. We're going to answer our trivia question. And Mary and Martha were good friends of Jesus and had a brother named Lazarus. Uh, was his their brother, and Jesus raised him from the dead, if you remember. We're glad you've been with us today, and we're going to come back next week and try to answer some more of your questions. So we hope you join us then. Until then, we hope you just have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.